Hello, this is Robert Yoho, and this is the Surviving Healthcare Podcast. And I have a special guest today who I know well, and he has a remarkable story. Tim Alexander is a filmmaker and audio engineer who has quite a story to tell, and I think I'm just going to let him uh, launch into it without any further preamble. So, Tim, thank you. Welcome, for, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Yoho. It's great being here. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. So where do we start? So tell the tell the listeners about your experience with your relatives who had who were involved in the San Bernardino shooting and how you uh, gradually acquired an interest in the evils of drugs and your interest spread out from the evils of the psychiatric drugs into all drugs. And I mean, it's, this story is, this is probably the best story I've ever had on my podcast. It's amazing. So launch, launch into it, Tim. I, I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Well, um, I knew nothing about drugs. Don't take them. Don't touch them don't really know anybody personally who takes them. I know nothing. I'm just some guy. I happen to be a filmmaker, living my life in Hollywood, started as a fashion photographer, um, ended up being a writer, producer, director, and editor. Uh, so, you know, I make films. And um, I met my wife on Tinder. Uh, our relationship went great. A year later, we decided to get married. And an old friend of mine that I've known since I was nine that hasn't spoken to in years, we somehow or another connected on Facebook. He heard I was getting married. He said, hey, I happen to be a pastor. I would, it will be my honor to marry you. And I won't charge you anything. I said, great. A little bit later, he informed me, unbeknownst to me, that he had been dating my cousin for three years. So, cutting a longer story short, he did the most amazing wedding I've ever experienced. Not just because it was mine. It was just beautiful. The vows were perfect. My cousin was there. Now, here's the relevance of the pastor and my cousin. After we got married, our wedding was so beautiful that they decided to get married with our encouragement. My sons were the ring bearers in their wedding. About six weeks later, they were putting flowers on the, uh, um, you know, two and a half months later, they were putting flowers on the casket. What happened was, after they got married, Cedric Anderson, you may have heard of it, Cedric Anderson killed Karen Smith, school teacher at a school in Riverside, San Bernardino. They call him the San Bernardino shooter. He walked into a classroom full of special needs kids, killed his wife killed a child, and killed himself. Patrick Anderson was a childhood friend and the minister that married my wife and I, and it's chilling to look at pictures of us standing there saying our vows. His face is between us. Um, he started acting erratically shortly after they got married. My cousin, Karen Smith, had bought her house years before he left him in the house that she bought and went and moved in with her mother and father because he was acting so strange. So I'm talking to them every day. She said, I love my husband. I don't know what's wrong with him. You know, I, I want us, you know, I want to be married. I, want, I love my husband. 
he's talking to me every day. Thank you. You're the only person that understands me, you know, and we're setting up meetings. We can try to get together and get this back together. And every once in a while, he would act very strange. He would just go off on a tangent. He would go into a rage. Then he'd be calm. Then he'd thank me and say, hey, you helped me a lot. Then he was constantly telling me that there was a preacher who was trying to deframe his name and take his church away from him. And then he kept telling me the, the government, the Navy was spying on him. And he would tell me over and over. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm like, stop telling me that. I don't care about that. When we have a conversation, I don't want to talk about that silly stuff. It is weird. On and on and on. I didn't know what he was going to. Anyway, one day he calls me. He's raging. She cheated. She cheated. She cheated. I'm like, what are you talking about? He cheated. I was gone for two hours. I came back. There were pubic hairs in the shower. That means she had a man here. She cheated. He described those pubic hairs to my wife and I for 36 full minutes. He hadn't been in the house in a solid month. He ho- Two days later, he hallucinated those pubic hairs. Two days later, I, I know why he killed. Two days later, he drove 45 minutes her job, calmly signed herself in at the counter, didn't say a single mumbling word. When he opened the classroom door, he just opened fire. Normally, when you're mad at somebody who cheated on you, you curse them out first. You don't just open the door and start shooting. He was psychotic. I talked to my aunt, Karen Smith's mother. She said, I don't understand it. What happened? I can't even be mad at him. He loved her. She loved him. He treated her like a queen. What happened? And this is well. Later. This is well known. And what year was this? Twenty sixteen or seventeen. So this was I'm in so all bad. the press, and it can be well, you that, can ser- search for it with the Riverside uh, shootings. San shooter. San Bernardino. Cedric Anderson. Yeah, Cedric Yo, Smith. Sorry, Cedric Anderson. A few, so my aunt was saying a few breaths later after she told me she didn't understand what happened, how much he loved her, and she loved him, that we were cleaning up the bathroom and we found a couple of bags of medication. I'm like, really? Two bags full of medication? I'm like, what were they? Oh, I don't know, just some medication with his name on it, prescription stuff. Found out what they were. Five of the meds had three unifying characteristics made you irritable, which is what ran her away from him because he was acting erratically. It make you paranoid while he couldn't see her. He was wondering what she may be doing and they make you hallucinate. He hallucinated the pubic hairs. Two days later, they were both dead. I quickly said, there's a connection here. I'm a documentary filmmaker, not just a filmmaker. So, I shot footage of both their funerals, started collecting things. I decided to make a film called Why Did It Happen? Why Did Cedric Kill Karen? I was going to show what really happened. I went to the school. I traced the route that he drove. I I really dug in. And as I was doing my research, I uh, I had an awakening. I said, wait a minute. This is not about Cedric and Karen at all. This is about everybody. And I realized that this problem was a problem across the nation and across the world. I decided to expand it past them. 
And originally I was focused on antidepressants and antipsychotics. And I discovered opioids. And I was dealing with those classes. As I went further, I got introduced to uh, uh, benzodiazepines. And I added that. I added every time I would run into another thing that people were telling me they were having problems with, I was saying, well, I have to investigate that as well. The most shocking was when I encountered fluoroquinolone and gadolinium. You know that a brain, a drug that you put in your brain that alters your brain's thought patterns and ability could have some potential challenges, but an antibiotic? You would never suspect that an antibiotic can do the damage that it actually can. Those antibiotics are fluoroquinolone, Cipro, Avalox, and Leviquin. They so just, just for the listeners, uh, all the psych drugs go into the brain, which is quite unlike most of the other drugs. I don't know about the fluoroquinolones. Do those cross the blood-brain barrier and go into the brain also? Here's the interesting thing. They took a quinolone, which is formerly uh, used as an experimental cancer treatment that didn't pass the muster, and they mixed it with a fluoride component, which is where they get fluoroquinolone. The fluoride allows the quinolone to cross the blood-brain barrier. It causes psych issues, cognitive issues, suicidal ideation. It causes everything the psych drugs do, plus it also damages the body. It damages the aortic artery. It damages, uh, uh, it, it ruptures. Your tendons rupture. Uh, people have told me their tendons just snap and roll up in their calf like a ball. One woman said she had her tendon snap three times. Um, and, they cause- and again, for the listeners, there was a black box warning, which is a severe warning put on fluoroquinolones for that reason. And I don't think that they mentioned the psych problems, but it's, it's had a lot of problems with tendon rupture, including Achilles tendon rupture, which is a severe uh, problem. Orthopedists are well aware of this. And we've all been much more cautious about fluoroquinolones since that black box warning went on, went on them a few years ago. But before that black box warning, these little nasty suckers were given out like candy. It was the darling of the doctors. Yeah, I used them. I used them frequently because the allergy rate was so much lower than any of the other ones. And they gave them out most commonly for urinary tract infections. Women have been damaged by fluoroquinolones five to one over men because they're given uh, fluoroquinolones five to one over men. Um, the term that people use when they've taken the fluoroquinolone is they call it being floxed, floxed. F-L-O-X-X-E-D, F-L-O-X-X-E-D. Yeah. And, um, they destroy your life. They go in and it takes 0.6 seconds for them to start reacting with the body. They open up the DNA and they enclose themselves in the helix of the DNA. They destroy the mitochondria, they destroy the gut flora, and you can't digest your food correctly, you can't extract minerals, you start having cognitive issues, your eyes get blurry, uh, your heart, any system in your body, it can be in your knees, it can be in your hips, you know, um, uh, you, you lose your ability, some people can't walk, 
their bodies swell up. Uh, then they start giving you psych drugs to help you deal with it. And that just adds to the problem. Now, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, a little bit but let me go back and so explore. Yeah, I can, just to put all this in context, we now have 50 to 70% of all Americans on medications. And Tim describes how he first started learning about the psychiatric drugs, which have no sugar pill control trials and are tremendously toxic and addictive, which, which I described in my book, Butchered by Healthcare. And then he moved on and realized that all these other drugs have tremendous problems too. And many seem to be a net loss uh, in, in the way they're used anyway. They're not used artfully. They're used indiscriminately on many, many, many people uh, leading to this 50 to 70% figure. So sorry to interrupt you, Tim. Um, go on with your story. It's, it, it, it gets more horrifying. Yeah. Fluoroquine loans are a special kind of evil. When a person has been damaged by a fluoroquine alone, there is no recognition whatsoever by anybody in the medical community in an official capacity, that these drugs cause the problems they do. There's a black box warning, but there's no diagnosis for fluoroquinolone damage. Now, the people who are flocks understand it very well. When they go to their doctors, their doctors look at them in the face and say, I never heard of that. They've given these to 10,000 people, but you never heard of anybody having a problem. No, no, they don't do that. 10,000 is very conservative. The They've given them to millions of yeah. people. Yeah. To millions of people. And everybody says the doctors do the same thing. Their eyes roll up in their head and they start looking around the room and looking at the ceiling or looking away or walking out the room. Anything to escape having to face the reality that they have no understanding of treatment behind besides before, giving out these horrible drugs. Before we get into this, let's establish your bona fides, your your background, your understanding, and your your kind of experiential credentials about this whole thing by describing what you did next. Can you bring me back to that? Let me finish the floor quite alone while I'm while okay. I'm, while I'm Sorry, there. go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. So when a person is damaged by fluoroquinolones, the doctors tell them, well, let's start back to the history. Now I'll tell you what the doctors tell them. <laughs> um, fluoroquinolones were used as a chemotherapy treatment. Didn't work out. They then started using it for anthrax. They then made something called mefloquine, which they gave to our soldiers uh, going uh, overseas, even when they were going to areas where as a malarial treatment, anti-malarial drug, even when they were going to areas where there was no malaria, they were still required at the threat of court-martial to take their pill and they would watch them swallow it. It, it was that bad. I've got multiple reports of that. Um, they then said, hey, this thing kills germs really well. Let's make it an antibiotic. Problem is, it kills germs so well, it kills all of them, even the ones that you need, like the ones in your gut flora. So they started giving out this new treatment, these new antibiotics, fluoroquinolones, which are really equivalent to a low-dose chemotherapy. And people don't know they're taking a low-dose equivalent of chemotherapy. And they start having problems. Now, they started giving out fluoroquinolones in mass in 1985. Lots of people obviously started coming back with issues. In 1987, after looking at all these people with these issues, 
They didn't know what to call it, so they decided to call it, they took a word that's obscure, a term that had been used since the 1800s, fibromyalgia. Now, we know good and well, we never heard of fibromyalgia when we were children. Now it's everywhere. Fibromyalgia is Latin for muscle pain. It's not a condition, it's a description. Fibromyalgia. So they started labeling it fibromyalgia and they would tell the patients, we don't know what it is. We don't know where it came from. We don't know how you got it. We don't know how to get rid of it. And you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. We don't know anything to tell you, except we're going to keep treating you with these drugs. Here, have some Ativan and have some, some Ambien and have some Xanax and Zoloft. Let's finish you off, essentially. But now people have a compounded problem, the fluoroquinolones plus the, plus the psych drugs. So that's the etymology of how, fluor, how this awful thing came to be given to the public. They decided urinary tract infections, colds, flus. If you've had LASIK eye surgery, the protocol is ciprofloxin, which the fluoroquinolone eye drops. They have cipro eardrops to give your children when they have earaches. They have, eye, they have uh, uh, nasal sprays. If you have a surgery and they have to put a screw to hold your bones together, they use cipro uh, uh, screws where the screws are coated in ciprofloxin, which is a time-release ciprofloxin. It so, only takes one piece to Tim. start a reaction in your body, but this, this but, uh, uh, screw gives for months. So, Tim, I, you know, my feeling about you is you're one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met, including every doctor I know about antibiotics and also about general medication toxicity. And I, but I want to establish, I want to take it from the start and establish how you acquired this, um, okay. th this expertise from essentially ground zero, which is, I mean, it's okay. an amazing thing. I've never met anyone like you who essentially is entirely a layman in terms of, uh, you know, uh, doctoring and medicine and so on and so forth. But Tell, tell my audience just what happened next and how you came to interview tens of thousands of people uh, about the whole thing. So we know your motivation. Okay. Your relatives okay. essentially were murdered by the SSRI class uh, antipsychotics and probably some atypical antipsychotics. They, they just went crazy and this thing happened. But, but tell, tell the story about how you acquired okay. your expertise, and then we can go into any of the medications you think are most pertinent. Hey, Riff, got it. So um, I'm flattered by that, thank you. Uh, and also I'd like to add to that, I've never actually met a doctor, which is shocking to me, that didn't say the same thing that you just said. They said, you know more than me and anybody else I've ever met. It, it stymies me that doctors don't know because they're not taught it. Tim did and not read the medical literature. He spoke not just to that. thousands of people. Not just that. They don't want to look because they have no other standard of care. If you were to tell them what those drugs really do and they couldn't give them to people, they wouldn't be able to do anything. So it, it, it's a real, real catch-22 that they're stuck in. So uh, I started, uh, I'm an African-American, uh, grew up in South Central Los Angeles in the hood. <laughs> um, I'm a high school dropout. Um, I taught myself to be a locksmith first, and I taught myself to be a fashion photographer. I traveled the world 
as a fashion photographer. I taught myself to be a makeup artist and did hair and did clothing styling. I was doing things for magazines and I started being an art director. Uh, then I started directing music videos and made a couple of feature films. And I was just a, a um, very broad uh, visual media creator that didn't have a boundary. Because the interesting thing about me is nobody taught me anything I've ever learned. So whenever I saw something that I wanted to do or saw a challenge, I said, if I figure that out, I'll figure that out. And so I just always went through life saying, everything is at my disposal. All I have to do is do it. So um, that's the way I've gone through life. So when this situation happened, I knew less than zero about this topic. I didn't even go to doctors. I hadn't had a doctor checkup maybe in 30 years. I just never go to the doctor. So I knew nothing. And I had the, did a lot of research online. And I'm a research junkie. I have a super powerful computer. I've literally had five and 600 tabs open at once and just going back and forth. I'd spend 18, 19 hours a day just looking, 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 reading everything. I got the presence of mind to build a Facebook page. That Facebook page grew so rapidly, it shook me. I would have 20, 25,000 people a day coming through there. The subject, the subject of the Facebook page was drug, d drugs destroying um, people. And he called it legal yeah. death, right? No, legal death in drugs we trust. That's all, legal death hyphen in drugs we trust. Uh, there's two pages on Facebook. One's a public page. There's hardly anything there, but the private page is the, is the big one. That initially was public. And it got so big and it got on Wildy because people were coming in who were shields, coming in, attacking, saying we didn't know what we were talking about. Then the people who were damaged by drugs would start to argue about which drug was worse and, and who was damaged the most. And the benzo people told the, the antidepressant people, oh, that's nothing. This is worse than the fluoroquinolone people saying, well, we're worse than you. And they all started to realize in time that they were all in the same pot. And I'm the first Facebook group. There's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Facebook groups that are private where people are discussing their damage from pharmaceuticals. They all were separate for each individual class or each individual drug even, but they were never unified. And the times when people try to unify, all they would do was infight. So I had to fight everybody and be everybody's bad guy to get them all to play nice, nice with each other until they finally realized they were all saying the same thing. So how many people they, were on this thing at, at its peak? Oh, uh, well over at its peak, we had about 30, 40,000 people a day coming through there. And you eventually decided to take a road trip and interview all these people. Let me get to that. But I think the Sorry. important thing is they started to realize that they weren't just damaged by the drug that they were aware of they started realizing they were damaged by almost everything they'd ever taken. And it turned out that it was a lot more than they realized. And they started realizing that they were polydrugged. They started seeing how deep the quagmire was and realizing that they were damaged by things that they didn't even know could damage them. They, if somebody was damaged by psych drugs, they'd say, oh, everything's psych drugs. They'd say, oh, wow, I had a fluoroquinolone too. And then even more shocking than the fluoroquinolone was gadolinium, which is the contrast dye that they inject you with before they give you an MRI. So they 
really became a very strong group. And then I had decided, I, I had already decided I was going to make a film. So I announced to the group, I'm going to make a film. And I need, I had used the group for research. I called it, you know, my, 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 my lab. I used it to research and understand and to get educated about the drugs and what they do and blah, blah, blah. So then I put up a map of the United States and put a red line that went from LA up to Oregon and Seattle and across through Idaho and Utah, all the way up to the top part of the country, through the South, then up through the Midwest, Canada, then dropped back down and went all through the South, all the way down to Florida and back up. And literally we went through about 43 states and Canada. And I put on this map, if you live on this map, call me, I'll come to your door and interview you. 300 people called. And we interviewed 200 people. We drove 16,500 miles in 60 days and interviewed 200 people, none of which we had personally known other than seeing them on the Facebook page. You did this on a shoestring budget, almost on your dime with a few investors. No safety net. And there was only two people, my wife and I. And that was the first time she had assisted on a production as a producer and assisting me with the camera and setting up the equipment. We were going in and out of people's houses at two, three, four in the morning, whenever we got in town. We were doing as many as five interviews a day. And most interviews were at least 300 miles apart. And we drove, we drove, and then somebody would call us and we would go back in the opposite direction. Because somebody back there said, you got to get my interview. And we cried. We had tears dripping off our chin. Sometimes we had to pull on the side of the road. We were just devastated. To look in these people's face and hear their pain firsthand. We collected 400 hours testimony directly from the victims. Now, what's interesting about this group of people these are not people that say, I went to the doctor and I took a pill. And then all of a sudden, I started feeling bad. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And the doctor still doesn't know what's wrong with me. No. Almost every one of them, 85% of them at least, were disabled. They were very intelligent people. A couple were scientists. Some were even doctors and nurses at the highest level. One of them ran a psych center. Another one was the highest level nurse. They were damaged themselves. So they, they obviously didn't know how bad these were because they took them. So these people did nothing with their frustration and pain but sat and researched and researched and researched and researched. They didn't just say, I have a problem. They understood the problem better than most doctors. And also, they would constantly feed me information I wouldn't even know to look for. They have files. They gave me medical records. They gave me dossiers. They pointed me in directions and said, look, here, this doctor over here is doing this. Look at what happened to this person over here. They drew all the parallels, stuff I wouldn't even imagine to look for. And my brain kind of works like a little computer. So I was able to take all this information and swirl it around and feed it back out to the point where I even made this group understand things they never saw. Nobody made the connection between fluoroquinolones and gadolinium. I kept saying the fluoroquinolone people and the gadolinium people sound exactly alike. And what they say happened to them after they were damaged by the effects of these, these, um, these drugs. Sidebar, gadolinium, 
is a contrast dye that's made up of metal called gadolinium in a liquid substrate. It's a very fine metal, and it's the most magnetic metal on Earth. Problem, and when you make pumping in your body, it's supposed to illuminate from the uh, from the uh, uh, radio waves, the magnetism, so the doctor can see your organs better, so they can try to diagnose what's wrong with the person's body. They say it chelates, which means that after a certain amount of time, your body rinses it out. Basically, you're supposed to pee it out. Doesn't chelate. Doesn't chelate at all. What it does, you're going to take the most magnetic material on Earth. It gets heated up by the electromagnetic energy, and the magnet pulls it in every direction into the soft fiber tissue of your body. This is during the scan. The of, yeah, during the scan. And it burns. The level of small tissue damage and neuropathy that you get is staggering and it doesn't go out it makes your body so it can't uh, uh, it, it makes calcium calcify around your bones and your body can't absorb calcium and it causes all kind of problems your eyes get blurry it gets in the retina of your eyes it gets everywhere in your body it goes through your bloodstream and anywhere your blood goes it goes and then, so again, I, I want to repeat that Tim Tim has interviewed tens of thousands of these people, and he continues to moderate the Legal Death Facebook site. So his experience eclipses anyone's that I've ever heard of, and his his conclusions, um, you know, on the face of them, you could dismiss any one of these stories, but together, it's it's a to me, it's a phenomenally convincing narrative thank you and just to land that last point i was making here's the parallel that nobody saw and these people have been fighting with these things for 20 25 years and here i am johnny come lately i'm about a year year and a half into looking at this thing and what i saw what i saw was um if you give them the fluoroquinolone and the doctor can't figure out what's wrong with you, what's he gonna do? He's gonna order a MRI with contrast. And when you order that MRI with contrast, you now have gadolinium put on top of your fluoroquinolone. So I went to both groups. I went to the fluoroquinolone group and said, have you ever had an MRI with contrast? And they said, oh yeah, I had six or seven of them. Oh, yeah, the doctor gives them, gives them to me every year. I'm like, oh, my God. I asked the, four, the, the, the gadolinium people, before you had gadolinium, did you ever happen to take a fluoroquinolone? Oh, yeah, I took Cipro uh, four times. I had a UTI. I took this. I took this. It's a compounded problem. So those are the kind of things that I was able to, to put together, and that brings me to where we are now. Ultimately, after I learned that and collected all that, I put it together in a film. There's a 90-minute feature film that basically lays out all of the different uh, 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 drugs that you should be careful of taking. And then I have enough material to make 12 one-hour episodes that go deep into people's individual stories. 
Now, the movie is so harrowing to watch. It's almost too hard to watch. A lot of people can't, they, they can't watch it. They, they say it's just too mind-bending because they're on them. They're giving them to their kids. Their mother's on them. Their father, their spouse, the people at work. And it just freaks them out. And the more they look, they're like, oh, my God, I took that one, too. And then as they start to wake up, it's overwhelming. But the other stuff I have is even scarier than that. When you look at the people's stories, I went to the doctor because I was having a hard time sleeping. He gave me Xanax. And I took that. And then I started, you know, going through this and going through that. And then um, uh, I went back to the doctor and he said, that means your condition is getting worse. Let me double the dosage. And I started getting worse. And I went back again. He doubled the dosage again. Then when I went back, he said, oh, I didn't notice this the first time. You're schizophrenic. You're bipolar. You're this. You're that. Let me give you this and this and this. I've had people who were having difficulties at work. And they went to the doctor. They put them on four different antidepressants. And they had never taken a med at the same time. I heard people took one pill and were suicidal, killed themselves the next day. Yeah. Took one pill. So just to, to kill their neighbor. Again. Wanted to kill his neighbor. And, and, and couldn't fight the thought. He had to have his brother come and take all the knives and guns out of his house. He wouldn't kill his neighbor. And that was his friend. He took right. one pill. So Tim Tim has been exposed to all this material. He he swims in the sea and he's understandably uh, angry about it and wants to get it all out. But just to establish the that this is reality, the the med, the information about the psychiatric drugs is well known. And their psychiatrists have a huge group that thinks that they shouldn't even be in business. It's unlike any other medical specialty and that their drugs are toxic. They're used indiscriminately now, and perhaps they have some utility if used very, very carefully. But the way the pharmaceutical companies have encouraged them to use the, the, the drugs the way they do, it's resulted in one disaster after another. And it's rarely acknowledged because our information sources seem to be coming almost entirely from big pharma. Pharma now dominates 75% of TV advertising and almost 100% of TV news. And so these, these medications, in particular, the SSRIs, the Prozac class drugs, um, predisposed to violence and suicide, and the mass murder, murders we are seeing now almost all have you know, some sort of relationship to these, this medication class, this Prozac or Paxil class of medications. And they can cause, uh, you know, there are many, many stories and many, many lawsuits against the original uh, manufacturers, and they've lost these lawsuits and they get carefully covered up. There are millions, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of settlements that are, are covered up with, uh, with gag orders or gag agreements. Um, because of this violence and suicide tendency. And so that, that whole area is well-known, well-documented. And the fact that these drugs have never been studied with sugar pill type studies, I mean, it, it's, it's really an outrage. Uh, and they've been allowed to do this by an FDA, which is essentially bought off by the pharmaceutical companies. So just to establish Tim's credibility, I just wanted to interject that thing about the psychiatric medications. Tim seems to have come up with um, new theories about the fluoroquinolones versus the gadolinium. And I don't think this stuff's ever been published anywhere, but it sounds quite credible to me. And so 
I just want the listeners to understand Tim's emotional state, which is he is swimming in this sea of people who are lying at home, many of them completely crippled and lying in bed and doing research about their own particular problems and trying to network. And his uh, Facebook page just got unwieldy. So he had to uh, put it by invitation only, but he'll give you information about how you can get on that if you're interested. Yes. So, so uh, Tim, continue uh, on your same vein and tell what happened to the movie and so on and so forth. Uh, well, um, the premise of the movie, and now uh, Cedric and Karen, the people who you know I lost in my life, who I, who prompted me to want to make the film, they're not even really in it. There's a maybe a ten second reference to them uh, with the screen grab of a headline about the murder suicide and it moved on to be about everybody it's it's done in seven different sections that deal with different drug classes in different areas and it's a passionate look all across america and canada and it sounds like everybody's almost saying the same thing and they're talking about all different drug classes i found that uh when they say people abusing opioids they don't abuse opioids they're victims they have no choice. If they don't take the opioids, they go into withdrawal and they start vomiting and shaking and, and, and shivering and, and going through all kind of unimaginable pain. And as soon as they take the opioid, the pain subsides. But if they get too much, then it kills them. Opioids are interesting. The other drugs. Let me, let me just back up and supply the background about opioids. So opioids about 20 years ago, a company owned by one family called Purdue Pharma promoted a drug called oxycontin which which was yeah the sackler family um they promoted and and they still are enormously wealthy they're billionaires um they promoted this drug uh, which was a standard opioid and we've had opioids around for over 100 years i mean maybe maybe 500 years you know since the initial uh census or, or rather uh, uh you know refining of morphine uh, we've had these drugs around. We know everything about them. They were originally treated with great respect because we knew how addictive and what a problem they were. But the Sacklers promoted this stuff to the medical boards and to the public and even got a article published in Scientific American claiming that needless pain was the big problem and not the opioids. So what happened was these things started to be used indiscriminately and there were pressures on the doctors to use them. And they even developed a, a, a pain uh, a scale, you know, whenever you go in the hospital to push these uh, drugs and they're drug pushers, No, make no mistake about it. But the problem is, is that when the, you expose the entire population to opioids, a certain percent of us are tremendously vulnerable, perhaps three to 5%. And those people, once they get a taste of the stuff, they are opioid addicts forever. And they think of nothing but opioids. And if they ever get any more, they, they just start seeking the opioids and stealing money to buy opioids. And the, uh, medical, boards, the medical boards finally cracked down on it. But by that point, we had Mexican black tar heroin that which was sold on the steps of the pill mills, which originally um, uh, gave out all this stuff. So it became a tremendous evil. Hundreds of thousands of people a year 
were killed. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people were killed. We'd never seen anything like it. It was a far bigger uh, disaster than Vietnam or you know other other wars. And it continues to this day because once these addicts have been established, it's very hard to get rid of them. And I mean, the the story gets even worse. I mean, they they they've established they've come up with things that are supposedly help helpful to take long term, but they're even worse, more addictive than the opioids. One is called Suboxone. Yeah. But anyway, that's a quick background for Tim's story about the opioids. Yeah, gabapentin is one of those alternatives that's even worse. Um, I like yeah. to make a correction. They actually don't seek the drugs because they want them. It ends up that they need them. Because they perceive they, that, they perceive pain. when they take the they perceive pain relief when they take the drug when actually they're they're actually having a relief of their addictive uh, feelings. That that's not quite accurate. They actually are in pain. They're not perceiving it. They're breathing in pain and they're going through withdrawal and it's intolerable. And as soon as they take it, it subsides. It's not they're imagining it. That's actually pain is real. They're going through it. I've talked to enough of them and, and looked at them and really had them explain it. And it is very clear in the way they articulate it. That this woman said, I don't want to do this. She said, I don't want to be looked at as, as one of the, the lowest rungs of society. She said, I take this so I can get up and just function, so I can get my daughter ready for school and make her breakfast. If I don't take this, I can't function. And she said, the opioids are too expensive because, uh, and they won't write prescriptions. Uh, so now she has to get heroin off the street because it's pretty much exactly the same thing. But she said the way it started, the doctors were giving her 180 promethazones, 180 Vicodins, and 180 Loratabs a month. The orthopedists were the orth orthopedists were notorious for addicting people to to these things. And it, and, it started with a tooth extraction, and so if the doctor gives them to you, you think it's safe to take them, you think you're supposed to take them. But yeah. then once you get hooked, I call it involuntary addiction. They were never told the dangers. They were never told they could get addicted. They were never told how to monitor. Here, just take these, go have fun. And then once they get to where their body has a dependency, where their body, their brain, their, their existence needs this to even function at all and not just be a lump of jelly, they have no choice but to take it for relief, not yes. for feel good. Right. As far as I can tell, most people are not susceptible to this and get off of these medications, don't perceive them as pleasurable. But for the ones that are, it's a real mess. A quick that's side note true. about Dr. Evo, quick... that's not true. That's not true. Most people who are, uh, are on them, very few are doing it for the feel good. They're actually doing it because their body has created a dependency on that to balance itself and it's it's very tricky and i thought they they were doing it because they liked it too all of them said they don't like it they're like i don't want to die i don't want to rot my teeth out i don't want to fall apart they're like i can't not take it because of the pain and so that's a very different thing and also most people would be susceptible to the damage of opioids now with psych drugs and some other drugs from my research about 40 percent of the people cannot metabolize the drug and have problems about 40 percent but the doctors don't do any tests the doctor doesn't know and you don't know if you're a part of that 40 percent and the 60 percent that tolerate the drugs okay 
they still have niggling problems to a lesser degree, but they can often be affected in some ways, just not at the point where they're devastated. I always learn a great deal. I always learn a great deal when I talk to Tim because his he has focused on this for years to the exclusion of almost anything else. I was not aware that gabapentin. Focus on what these things do to people. Yeah. You know, I was not aware that gabapentin was uh, used to treat opioid addiction. Not not to treat opioid addiction. They started using gabapentin as a replacement for opioids, and they started seeing that people were having problems with opioids. And some so when they substituted, you can almost say it's semi like a treatment for opioid addiction, but it's not to stop the opioid addiction. It's to say stop taking this. Let me give you this instead. Uh, because they somehow or another convinced people that uh, I remember uh, I had backaches from time to time. I remember I used to hear these ads. You shouldn't feel pain. You no longer have to feel pain. Come to pain. So, so, so pain treatment center. We can make all pain go away. That was the beginning of the opioid thing. They promised people this utopia of no pain. The reality is in life, physical organisms, including animals, they experience pain from time to time. And sometimes consistently, if you hurt yourself, you hurt and the pill can't fix it. They can only numb the receptor so you can't feel it at that moment. But the damage they do in the process of doing that is almost not worth it. I know people who are damaged by drugs before like opioids or other drugs who are so refusing to take drugs. I've met people who have had back surgeries with nothing but Tylenol because they refuse to take an opioid. That's how fearful they are of the power of that little pill. And, and rightfully so. Yeah. They can get almost anybody. If you take more than a certain amount and they saturate your body, I don't care who you are. The opioids can get you. Now, you may survive Xanax, but those opioids are going to get you. And they're very hard to get off of. The, the gabapentin is a drug that was approved for one or two things, including post-herpetic or post-zoster uh, pain. And it has come to become used for 50 or 75 different supposed indi- indications. And it has many, many complications, including anxiety, depression, and even suicide. It's an outrage that we allow this thing to be used so indiscriminately. The anesthesiologists love it for some reason. And it started as a horse tranquilizer. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's been proven to have zero efficacy in any area. It doesn't work at all. The original studies about um, the... uh, post-zoster or post-herpetic uh, pain uh, were questionable. They, you know, the, the commentators didn't think it was enough to suggest the drug should be approved, uh, but yet they, they studied it and marketed it for all these off-label indications, which is legal, but it's, uh, it's highly questionable. I mean, it's just, it's not a good drug. Yeah, and it doesn't help anybody, but what it does, it causes a lot of nerve damage, a lot of neuropathy, you know, a, a lot of the same type issues that most of these other drugs cause. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I'm very passionate about it. I'm also very tired. I've engorged myself with this so much that, you know, it, it, it's become <laughs> very life draining, you know, and it's a message that I wish I can get out. And I'm frustrated because it's very difficult to get the message out because, as you know, those airways are controlled by the commercials that you see, and we know which commercials those are to the tune of billions of dollars a year. So when people are showing commercials to certain clients, they're not gonna do a whole lot to speak against that client's product 
at fear of losing that commercial money. So it's been very difficult to get commercial acceptance of the message of this film. But everybody needs to see it. So tell what uh, happened to your film. Well, uh, I finished it. And uh, as I just stated, it's very difficult to get it out in a marketplace that is uh, controlled and regulated by dollars. You know, um, our medical establishment is not run to help heal people from ailments. It's run to make a profit. There are shareholders and boards of directors who are concerned about profit. Everything is about how much money can we make. And one way to make money is you advertise your product. That way more people accept it and take it and want it. So they advertise their product more than hamburgers. They advertise their product more than cars combined. So these commercials, there's a reason why one in four people is taking some type of a psychotropic medication. There's a reason why statin use is running rampant. They have lowered the number of what they they call high cholesterol a few times. And now when you go in, your cholesterol is not high yet, but you're pre-high cholesterol. Let me start you on a statin extra early. Prevention that, is, a, is a market for everyone, and that's an outrage. But And that's not even prevention. What it is, the statins are to control cholesterol. It's not proven that cholesterol causes heart attacks. They call that the cholesterol myth. Problem is cholesterol is created in your own liver by your own body. Your brain is made of 60% cholesterol. Your joints are lubricated by cholesterol. So I didn't see this, but you have statin damaged people in your group. Yes, and they're also in the documentary. If you take a statin and lower your cholesterol, you then end up with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and a number of other things. And you end up, you know, that's when uh, we can't find our grandmother. She walked down the street. She's been gone for four hours and she doesn't know where she is because you reduce your brain capacity and your brain actually shrinks in size. You literally reduce your brain by taking a statin. I talked to one of the top cardiologists in the world, and he said he would never give a statin to anybody who hadn't had open heart surgery. It's not for general consumption. Right. If you've had a heart also, attack, it has a small positive effect. If you've already had a heart attack, it has a you small said open positive heart effect. Surgery. That, that, yeah. The cardiologist, I spoke open heart surgery. He didn't say heart attack. He said open heart surgery. That He said he wouldn't give it to anybody that didn't have open heart surgery. And he works on the heart. That's, that's his livelihood. Um, also, um, when you reduce your bone, when you take that, you reduce your bone density by over 20%. Your bones get brittle. That's why older people are falling and breaking their hip. When I was young, older people died in their sleep. They died of a heart attack. They died of diabetes. Then when I started getting a little older, cancer started coming in when they started messing with the food. But they didn't fall and break their hip. But now the bones are brittle. The balance is also affected by statins. When you fall and break your hip, they usually die shortly after because they're too old to regenerate from such a severe injury. So these, these drugs at one point were the most commonly prescribed drugs. And I heard, I seem to recall that they were $80 billion worth of sales a few years ago. Um, it's, it's just, it's almost an unmitigated disaster because they're prescribed indiscriminately to anyone with a slightly high cholesterol, despite the fact that they haven't been proven to reduce heart, heart attacks. So go on and let's tell us 
um, what the problems have been with the distribution of your movie and why we can't just refer someone to a link to watch that movie. Uh, I, I pretty much said about all I can say on that. Basically, it's hard to put a film out when you have, you know, a giant that's against that message and the media is bought and paid for. So, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, I mean, who's, who's going to pick it up when they're getting dollars from pharma? And basically, they promote what pharma sells, not we've re- reality. We've recently seen the production and the distribution of 2000 Mules, which is the book about the election fraud. And they managed to do that against the uh, grain. Uh, is there any hope that we can find uh, some method to get this film out there so it can be seen? I And personally, I watched uh-huh. the film. I was very impressed. I was very impressed by the production qualities and the narration and the whole thing. I mean, you, you hired a professional narrator who was absolutely at the top of his game. Yeah, uh, uh, Emmy award-winning actor Keith David, a uh, very well-known actor. Um, I'm exploring some things. Um, you know, I've got investors. I have to make my investors whole. Um, obviously, it's not going to get broad mainstream distribution. It could be put out on smaller independent streamers and, and different places here and there. But, you know, um, unless I can make my investors whole first, it's kind of stillborn and, you know, I'm frustrated and I have it, you know, and I would love to get the information out. Uh, I am exploring different things to, to try to do, but right now I'm using my voice to tell those that want to hear whatever I can tell them to try to help them to see, you know, um, that if you go in for a surgery, doctors do pretty good with surgeries, pretty good. Sometimes they make mistakes, take out the wrong organ. You know, sometimes they leave a few tools inside and sometimes they puncture a few things here and there. Sometimes they do unnecessary surgeries, but they do pretty good. But anything they give you to put in your mouth, you better look it up before you take it because your body is your responsibility. And those warnings that are in that box, that long page of warnings, those aren't just warnings of what could happen. Those are things that do happen. And guess what? Your doctor doesn't read those. He doesn't fuck he needs to because the pharma rep said this is the latest thing the FDA approved. And you should give it to people for this, that, and the other. And if you can think up something else, you can try it off label and see what happens. So it's very dangerous. Anytime you can go on the internet and find a support group for a particular medication, you may want to really think twice about taking it. You don't find a support group for aspirin, but you will find one for Zoloft and Xanax and Paxil and Ativan and Advil and uh, not Advil, Adderall and so on and so forth. And now I'm not giving medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I don't know squat. I just know what people told me. And to me, what people tell me when I look in their face and see their pain carries a little more weight than what people don't tell me, like what doctors don't tell you about the potential damage. Doctors have even been, I've been told by so many people I can't count. The doctor said, I'm going to give you this drug, but don't look it up on the internet. Because it's going to scare you. You're going to read a bunch of stuff about all these horrible things that happen, but don't worry about it. Just go ahead and take them. That's well, what I've heard people say Tim, over and over and over. It's a horrifying story, and I've got I have a great deal of respect for what you've gone through. And I think this is probably when you look back at the end, you'll think that this was the most important work that you've done in your lifetime. And we do want to get this thing out there, and I'll do everything I can to help you with that. Um, I, uh, is there any other, are there any other places that people should look, uh, 
do you want to state the name of the Facebook group and the uh, and the, the um, other? Uh... You can go to Facebook and look up Legal Death and Drugs We Trust. Legal Death hyphen and Drugs We Trust. There's a private group. The public group, not much going on there. The private group is where it's really that that's the the, the elite part of the group. Um, you know, I let a few people in from, from time to time. Uh, if you look on the internet, you can find a, a trailer floating around here and there. Uh, there are some trailers on Facebook. There is a legaldeath.com website. But there's no place currently where you can see the film. When it becomes available, I'll make noise from the mountaintop. So, you know, you should be able to be aware of it. But right now, there is no place to see the film nor do I have any projections of any place to see the film at this time. But again, what I'm saying is just me speaking from my passion, from my experience, from the stories of other people. Yeah, and I'm this is a good time advice. to... I'm not a doctor. Yeah. And consult your doctor and check with him and ask right. him about what I said and, and, and let him tell you what to do or not to do. This I'm is just a good... telling you... This is a good time to in insert the standard disclaimer that um, this is not medical specific medical advice about your individual condition. Uh, use this information at your own risk. And if you have a problem, you need to consult a licensed provider. But that said, you better do your freaking and homework. Some people, some people tolerate the Yeah, some people tolerate the drugs just fine. But if you're one of that 40 percent that doesn't, your life is going to disintegrate. Also, another important thing. If you're concerned about anything I said, do not hear me above all. Do not just stop taking them. You're going to withdraw and want to kill yourself within, 20, within, within days. You cannot just stop these. Your body goes into shock. Your brain goes completely psychotic. Your everything, apathy, tardive dyskinesia, all kinds of things, you just, you just break down. Some drugs, it takes as long as five years to wean from a drug as long as, and if you're on four or five different medications, you have to wean from each one separately from the other. The I've psych drug, people have been on drugs. The psych yeah. drugs are, the psych drugs are brain damaging. And the best single yeah. reference for them is Robert Whitaker's anatomy of an epidemic. And that's 10 years old, 10 years or 11 years old, but it holds true for today. And you can get that on Kindle. It's inexpensive. And you can find out what's going on with all these things and why why they are suspect at best and tremendously damaging at worst and how addictive they are and so on. Yeah, and I've met people 35, 40 years on these drugs. I've met people who take 35 different pills in a day, not not just different ones of the same, 35 completely different pills in a day. They're, they're, they're just so poly drugs. It's insanity. We, we and, never you know, studied two drugs together. We never studied two drugs together. We only struggled. But they they're, give they, them together you know, all the they time. Give them together. The nursing homes <laughs> are filled with people together, who are yeah. taking 20 drugs at a time. And they have no idea what that effect is. So protect yourself, protect your family, do your research on top of what your doctor says, because you do have a right to go and do research. I found this stuff out. You can find this out, make your own determination and consult with your doctor and see what he thinks, and see if there's a better way to do it, and see if they can find some way to give you a little bit and see how you react. And if you react, discuss with him about maybe it's 
you may not want to continue or something and, and get his advice and see what he says about that. But here's one other big important thing. Almost everybody I interviewed said when they were first given the drugs, the doctor said, do not miss a single dose for the first eight weeks. That's how long it takes for the medication to take its full effect. And they admonished him, do not miss a pill for the first eight weeks. Comes to find out that eight weeks is exactly the amount of time it takes your body to get a full dependency. So they lock you in from the beginning. If you had taken it for six weeks, you may be able to get off relatively quickly and relatively easy and relatively unscathed. Once you cross two months, three months, a year, it's almost impossible to get off. It's very difficult to get off the SSRIs. It takes requires tapering doses sometimes for years. Tim is referring now, I believe, primarily to the psych drugs. And that's that's the yeah. general instructions about how you're supposedly uh, should take the psych drugs. For more background about medications in a general way with less, less detail than Tim can supply, um, look at my Butchered by Healthcare, which is a book that's available on Amazon for the Kindle versions. I think it's only $5. Yes, it's a very good book. It's a very good book. It really inspired me. And, and when I saw that, I'm like, I have to meet this, man. We've become fast friends since then. And I applaud Dr. Yoho for being someone who was on the inside, who understands this from a, a doctor's point of view. And, and to step out and to make something this bold, you know, uh, uh, against the face of a community that he was a part of is is very admirable you know and 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 an amazing you know uh it's amazing transition and he did that because he feels bad in some ways he was even a part of that community to know that he gave these drugs to people that 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 could have potentially hurt their lives so much and he felt like he had to do something to say hey this is what i found out and i want to i want to pull back the veil so thank you for that Tim, amazing book I'm, since I'm since I'm retired, I'm less courageous than you think, and I I, uh, I I greatly appreciate who you are and what you do, and I want you to keep up the fight. And I'm going to do my best to see if we can get your um, your funders satisfied and and your your uh, your film onto a, a platform where everyone can see it. Yes, thank you so much, Tim. Thanks again, and. I'm going to sign off. Okay. Talk to you soon.